Hello, and welcome to the North East Law Review Podcast. I am Max Chow, one of your guest hosts and second-year law student at Newcastle University. I'm also president of the Lloyds Without Borders Student Division here. And I'm your other host, Malika Kwani, and I'm also a second-year law student um, and research officer of the student division here at Newcastle. And today we are joined with Robin Taylor, Executive Director of Lawyers Without Borders. We're delighted to have her on and to discuss her professional journey into law, what Lawyers Without Borders does, and the importance of the work Lawyers Without Borders carries out. This work includes things like wildlife trafficking and money laundering, in which our student division based our entry of this year's annual Rule of Law Innovation Challenge, which we came third in. So welcome, Robin. How are you? Well, um, for me, it's morning, so I will say good afternoon to you. Um, I'm really excited to be here and to be talking to you. I think technology has made so much possible. And even though it's COVID, I'm increasingly optimistic based on the fact that um, we're all able to connect and have these discussions. So thank you for having me and congratulations on being a part of Rolik and your place in the competition. I was incredibly impressed by your work and your commitment and uh, I'm excited to do more with Newcastle. That's good to hear and thank you so much. It was a pleasure to take part. Excellent. Thank you. Um, I thought we'd just dive straight in and I'm just wondering what your background and is with law and how did you get into the legal sector in the first place? Sure, and it's exciting to talk about my journey, especially to students that are starting theirs. And in some ways, I am envious of you guys. Um, you may not know it, but it's just a series of decisions and opportunities, mistakes, successes that um, you'll look back in a couple of decades and have no idea how the time went by so quickly, but yet how many things you could have never expected and some of the things that you would really hope for have come true. So I think it's an exciting journey. So I am actually a lawyer in the United States. So I am licensed here across the pond. And to become a lawyer in the US, it is a little bit different path than in the United Kingdom in that we go through our elementary schooling for 12 years and graduate from high school. And then we do four years at an undergraduate university. And often that study could be on liberal arts or sciences, engineering, different topics. And so the pathway to becoming a lawyer here is really diverse and typically starts after that four years of undergrad. So typically someone will be in their early twenties, but many people start you know, years after to pursue the path of law. And so I would say that my interest in law started relatively early. I didn't have an absolutely clear path that figured I would go on to a professional education and really loved the idea of the analysis and how the rule of law and the laws shape our ability to operate as a society. And so I started law school straight out of my undergraduate education and we can talk about that. It is 
three years of schooling, it tends to focus on specific topics that often don't have a very clear uh, connection to the practice of law. It tends to be more developing the skills of analysis, public speaking, engagement, but it prepares you to enter the profession where you then really are sort of thrown in and learn on the job. So I can walk you through a little bit of my professional career, but I'll, I'll turn it back to you. So I became a licensed lawyer almost 25 years ago. And um, at that point in time, I was in my early 20s, probably not a lot older than you guys are now. And I started out at a law firm. Amazing. Um, what did you study at undergrad? So of all things, I was actually a biology major. So I had started down a science direction really with not a strong intention to going to medical school, but probably somewhat unclear where the direction would take me. But I always thought the intersection of science and technology and law was something I was interested in. And I had worked for a congressman who's now a senator, Edward Markey, who is actually still in the, in the game of US politics. And he was working on a lot of environmental issues and Superfund, which was some of the environmental cleanup, which was so important back in the 90s. He was sort of the, the godfather of a lot of that work in the United States. And I saw a lot of opportunity to use the skills that we develop as lawyers to go after important international issues. Well, that's quite interesting that you started out studying biology, something completely different to law. So would you say there's not one natural career path or were you pushed in a certain direction to pursue law? So I would say most people who go to law school typically have a passion for heading in that direction, but the educational background in the United States often is very diverse. Our deputy director at Lawyers Without Borders, Jessica Reichman, is a biomedical engineer which I actually just learned about fairly recently, which obviously brings in a array of skill sets, some of which um, you know, she probably doesn't use every day, but certainly a rigorous education, um, smart enough to get through all the chemistry classes that she had to take. So, um, but I think a lot of people do study history, do study political science, um, English, the writing skills are obviously very important to be a lawyer or a barrister. So um, that was my career path. And certainly it has been many twists and turns since then. But um, I look back on the study of genetics. I look back on a lot of the study of vaccines and a lot of the science classes I took that really do apply, whether it be in the practice of what I'm doing now or a case I had as a prosecutor or just honestly reading the news as to what is happening in today's society. Hmm. Um, so kind of learning about um, the turns that your career has taken you in and the journeys are quite incredible and I feel like um, in law school we have this um, path in our heads of we're going to do this and then the next step and then the next step and in reality life sometimes says no to that and takes us on different paths. Um, so did you, when you were in law school, did you have an end goal of what you thought you wanted to do and end up as? Did that come about? Which twists and turns did it take you on? And how did you welcome those to end up in, in the position you are now? 
So I definitely think having goals and having passion helps set you in a direction, but I think you kind of nailed it. Um, I'm not sure sometimes it really matters. You know, the best laid plans uh, don't often go the direction. And I think, you know, now that we're moving, you know, more hopefully towards the beginning of the end or the end of the middle of the pandemic, that one message to students or people that feel like perhaps this year has been incredibly challenging is that the impermanence of the moment and how much it may feel like it's not changing all the time, but that so many of these decisions really don't have as much impact on where you're going to end up, whether you're successful or unsuccessful, and that it is the sort of skills and the discipline and the um, direction that you bring that is going to take you where you go. So this one moment in time doesn't matter that much. I mean, I was much like you. I was in a university setting. I had never been to Africa. I had never really traveled. I don't think I had traveled internationally till I studied in London as a junior in my university. So prior to law school, I had never left the United States. But in 2011, I was selected to serve as the legal advisor in Nairobi, Kenya. So I know we're jumping ahead in the journey. I could never have imagined, except for the fact that I desperately wanted to work overseas, but I at that point hadn't even become a prosecutor yet to know of these opportunities. So I would say that, um, I guess one piece of the puzzle is to study hard, use the opportunity that you have now. I think your performance, your grades, the connections you make are really important. And as to the latter, I will say that obviously you make lifelong friends in university, but the people you've met at Lawyers Without Borders or in these competitions, it's amazing to see where they end up and to maintain those relationships with the law firms that mentor you and the students that you meet along the way, because they are a huge part of this journey. That's really interesting and you've had quite the career journey and just looking at your CV you've had a lot of experience not only working in um, Kenya and Indonesia also in Europe and also working in the United States um, so bringing this back to Lawyers Without Borders how did you get involved with Lawyers Without Borders because you got involved about the same time we established our division in the middle of yeah. the current pandemic so we'd like to hear your story Sure, and I'll weave back because it probably seems uh, a little unclear how all of those international positions fit in to someone graduating law school and starting at a law firm. So we will get back to that. Um, I have been incredibly lucky to have these opportunities and I actually worked with Lawyers Without Borders a decade ago. When I was selected as the legal advisor to Nairobi, Kenya, Lawyers Without Borders was one of the international organizations doing incredible work in East Africa. And so I had come from the law firm just by to lead the groundwork. And I had worked at a private law firm for probably three to four years. So learned my skill, learned my trade, learned how to research and write. I can't say you certainly master it in that time, but you don't come out of law school knowing how to do all of those things. And the hours that the lawyers pour into your professional development and the mentors that you have will become very important people to you as you move forward. 
I was selected to be a public prosecutor, a federal prosecutor here in the United States about my fifth year of practice. So that sort of gives you a milestone. And I did that job for 24 years. So in the context, I did traditional prosecution for about a decade. And then I had this opportunity to go overseas. The US Department of Justice puts about 65 prosecutors in international locations to work on complex problems from counterterrorism to human trafficking, wildlife offenses. And so it was in that context where I had been selected to serve the department overseas that I got to know Lawyers Without Borders. I actually did three to four programs with them on the ground. And what I will say looking back is so interesting. It was the connection with the students and some of the more junior staff that I actually think really made a difference. It was connecting with those people who are now more senior staff and that were leaders at the organization that remembered our time together and remembered the impacts that we had together. And so the opportunity became available. We'll talk a little bit about Lawyers Without Borders and our founder, Christina Storm, created the organization in 2000. So we're a little over 20 years sort of came and went without a whole lot of acknowledgement um, outside because of some of the recent events, but I was able to find out about the opportunity of moving into being the executive director of this nonprofit. And I started the job in September of 2021. Actually, it was September of 20, so about six months ago. How did you find starting a new job during a pandemic? How did I find? Well, interestingly enough, I was supposed to start the job in January to March of 2020, but obviously the world had other plans and <laughs> it created a challenge for both the organization and for me. Um, one, the organization was ready to have an executive director on board and uh, for a variety of reasons, I was stationed in Stuttgart, Germany, not too far from where you are and uh, was unable to leave my current job. The other issue probably boils down to three things, and that would be Allison Taylor, Aaron Taylor, and Derek Taylor, my three children, who were in <laughs> school in Germany. So I had two students in high school and one who was in middle school, and they had to finish their education um, and the contract for their education was tied to my job. So I was unable to leave Initially, so the organization very generously found an interim director to operate and Jessica Reichman, the deputy and the staff uh, pitched in during that transition. But what was supposed to be a six month transition turned into an almost 18 month transition. So um, they were very generous and were able to find the resources and to keep the ship moving forward. And honestly, the ship does not necessarily need me. We have amazing staff and leadership and a board, which we'll talk about, but I came on in September. So uh, that, that gives you the transition. I will, I guess, just say too, starting in a pandemic, I think um, I was very familiar with the mission and what this organization does. So, and I had done a lot of preparation during that 18 months, which we can talk about too. I would say that, um, the biggest challenge is I haven't been able to really be with staff. We're meeting just like we are. It's not uh, impossible, 
But um, luckily I know about 30 to 40% of the staff before I started. And prior to the pandemic, I actually went to Washington a couple of times and to New Haven where we're headquartered and met all of the staff before. So I had at least had a little bit of personal contact, but um, it has definitely uh, been a growing experience for all of us. So interesting to hear your journey in the pandemic. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about what Lawyers Without Borders does, because some people can find it quite hard to know what is Lawyers Without Borders, their kind of projects and mission. So I'm wondering if you can elaborate a little bit more on the rule of law and access to justice. Sure. So at its core, sort of its creation, Lawyers Without Borders is a nonprofit organization. We are actually a registered charity in both the United States and the United Kingdom. So we are a registered charity uh, in both localities. We have offices in New Haven, Connecticut, as well as in Washington, DC. And we have staff in London, Nairobi, and in Tanzania and Dar es Salaam. So the overall mission is to promote access to justice, rule of law, and human rights. We do that through our network of 10,000 lawyers. It's actually broader and deeper than 10,000 lawyers that support us, the law firms that you engaged with as uh, coaches and mentors over the course of Rolex are just a small part of our network. They're an incredibly huge, important part, but you saw a piece of our network in the United Kingdom, but we have lawyers all over the globe that pitch in at no charge. They do it pro bono. They give of their time and energy to the various projects and work that we do. So we can draw on expertise from labor and employment to people who are experts in the area of national security, former ambassadors, former prosecutors, people that have experience in law enforcement. We have a broad spectrum of professors and um, judges and lawyers of just about every specialty with linguistic ability in virtually every language you could imagine needing to work across the globe. So it is this network that comes together to solve problems. And we can talk a little bit about our programming, but I think at our core, lawyers solve problems. What I love is we don't do it with swords or, um, you know, military weapons. We do it with our pen, and our tongue and our ability to create arguments and to create laws. So um, that's sort of the, the start of what the organization is. And I'm happy to talk to you a little bit about our programs as well. Yeah, that'd be really good if you could tell us more about your programs and the different projects that Lawyers Without Borders um, undertake. Sure. So. Our, our basic paradigm and focus is to build stronger and more impactful justice sector systems. We don't only work on criminal law, but I would say 60 to 70% of our work does focus on criminal law focus. We also look at access to justice through the court systems and whether it be delay or challenges that judges have in economic disputes or civil cases is also areas where we have expertise. Within the criminal law realm, we work globally. We have work on every continent and have partners in every continent. We do a lot of work in the area of human trafficking, which I know is relevant to a lot of the students. 
And within that, we are looking at disrupting transnational organizations that engage in everything from sex trafficking to child trafficking to creating systems that break apart those crimes. Well, how do you do it? And that's where actually it is both less sexy and more sexy, depending on your perspective of a lawyer. So it's about coming up with good laws. It's about coming up with effective policing where the authorities of the labor inspectors is not only clear, but understood and enforced. It's coming up with abilities to detect and to engage in various programmatic activities to strengthen the capacity of prosecutors and judges. So those often boil down to individual technical assistance on particular problems that they're having. And we take that model and we apply it to wildlife offenses, which obviously the environment and the ability to preserve um, the resources in our countries and around the world is really important. And it's not just limited to that. We focus on sexual and gender-based violence, obviously protecting women and victims of crime. We do a lot of skills-based training. So it might focus on the trial skills of lawyers. It might focus on the special skills that are needed by judges. And so we can assemble our network and use them as a force multiplier to create these impacts. And one of the most important things is our student networks, which we will talk about as well, but our student chapters are absolutely one of the crown jewels of what we do. So, um, and that's what brought us together, but um, that's a key piece of our work as well. That's brilliant. I was just about to raise um, the student divisions too, um, about how pro bono and actually fostering a network from an early age in one's career can actually help lawyers for our borders in the future. So obviously we had the rule of law innovation challenge recently. I'm just wondering how that feeds into the um, lawyers for our borders network down the pipeline. So I'll give you a little bit of background and I'll give you two immediate stories ripped from the headlines of my work as the executive director in the last probably 72 hours. But we have um, through our founder from our inception valued the work with schools and with students. And she was prescient enough to see that at the very beginning and start the mechanics of setting up these student chapters. And as you know, you have responsibilities for setting up your society and your division. You work with your university, so you have structure, you have some funding, you have responsibilities, which adds to the impacts and creates a ability to bring in members, which is terrific. And being a newer chapter, if not today, I would love to hear about some of the challenges or some of the things that worked really well in creating that chapter, because we have new students that want to do the same thing. So you can be mentors to them. And you're right. That's what the students are able to do. They're able to focus on what's meaningful to them. They are able to look at the value of not being just a practitioner or being a business. You know, law is a profession and you have the responsibility to give back. And lawyers in the, around the globe and certainly in the United States have not only a requirement as part of their licensing where it actually often mandates that you have to do pro bono, but I would say most of the lawyers I work with see it as an absolute responsibility. 
and something they really value. So imparting that to students and working with the next generation uh, is incredibly valuable and we see great things come out of it. I'll tell you just looking at the projects that came out of the rule of law innovation competition that you just participated in, the ideas, the clever ways of engaging and the thoughtful solutions, it really does take a village. It takes all different perspectives. And a couple of things have come up really recently. We had been approached by a potential partner on working in um, North Korea, potentially an area that obviously is not one that Lawyers Without Borders or many even have a lot of experience. And I offered up to the contact that we have 30 plus student chapters that have greater ability to understand some of the nuances of relationships with countries that can be creative, that don't come with maybe some of the political trappings that a more seasoned, experienced lawyer or government official might have. And it was met with great excitement that a student network could do research or potentially reach out to students that might be in a particular region that don't often get to engage with other students from the UK or from Europe or from Africa. We do have a new chapter in Hong Kong, for example. So obviously a place in the world that is very rich with history and uh, focus on our values. And another example that came up very recently too, is we are looking at issues with respect to human trafficking and corporations and others doing business have responsibilities to ensure that their supply chain doesn't knowingly or unknowingly bring in challenges with respect to forced labor, child labor, you know, the human trafficking concerns that you guys are familiar with. And one of the ideas we have is to reach out and tap our student chapters to help us figure out how to engage with some of our corporate clients that um, want to create a message. And it isn't just a message to adults. It's a message to people that are entering the workforce that are the future leaders. And what I also find out is that all generations often care, but students often care even more passionately and hold these corporations accountable. And you want to see what it is that they're doing that's making a difference in human trafficking in a way that maybe one of their peers couldn't do. So those are two things that have come up just this week as I've thought about the student chapters. I um, have really loved being part of the student chapter of Lawyers Without Borders. Um, and it's funny because I was telling Max the other day, it's really strange to think what our student chapter would look like in person because we've only ever had it online and over Zoom and we've only ever interacted with each other as a committee on Teams. And um, I was just wondering how you have seen um, the student chapters translate online and the benefits or perhaps the downfalls of that. Um, and I personally love being able to attend the Rollick event and see and hear from so many different people that perhaps in person we might not have heard from. 
So I'll say this, look, I have a child who's a freshman at UCLA, University of California, Los Angeles, who is doing her freshman year online. So I get that there are some serious impediments to one's ability to have a meaningful experience at university when you can't meet people. So I, I start with that and I do personally understand it. I will also say it's not an all bad news story though, in terms of our work. And in some ways it's actually a really good news story. It's actually better than some of our work that we do in person. And I'll tell you, here's why. We have this network as you have a network and being able to travel to Nairobi can take 35 hours. It can be long, expensive and difficult. And what we're finding is that we are able to tap into some of the most incredible experts that have two to five hours to give over the course of a program, or maybe 10 hours when they don't have to actually physically travel. They can do it from their judicial chambers. They can do it from their professor's office. They can do it from their corporate suite, and they can impart knowledge and experience that we would just never be able to tap into I will also say, I will come visit you and hopefully you won't graduate and be gone before I actually come to Newcastle, but we'll, we'll find each other. But I will say that I don't know that we would be able to have these types of meaningful interactions without the technology. And so one of the things about Rolik, you know, the innovation context or the contest is the idea of leveraging technology to benefit us and to come up with ways to make it even better. And we have actually invested in our organization thousands of dollars to try and make the online experience exceptional. And it really can be, it can allow intimacy, it can allow communication. I certainly wouldn't ever replace in person, but we are seeing that a hybrid environment really can further our goals. And so, um, and my dog just barked uh, in in support of my uh, my comments, so it must be true. <laughs> completely agree with all the points he just said. And yes, um, as a new student division, we have been completely online, and we haven't even had a whole committee meeting in person. Um, so, drawing upon that point in the kind of hybrid world that we'll probably go into. Um, once this pandemic ends, is how would lawyers for our borders division, divisions and uh, pro bono work um, continue in the future to um, counter counterterrorism, human trafficking or wildlife trafficking? So obviously you've touched on our core values, the core focus of what we do. And I think in terms of the area of human trafficking, I think there really needs to be a, rally, a rallying cry. I don't think human trafficking is gonna be solved through prosecution, certainly not prosecution alone. It is certainly one way to break up organizations and deter, but I think it is going to take a really coordinated, high profile effort to highlight the available tools for corporations, for the way we do business, and a appreciation of valuing the way that people work in the field. And we would like to draw students into that discussion of how we not only hold our corporations and businesses accountable, but also partner with them and recognize 
all of the exceedingly important efforts that they are putting into this work. And then certainly working with those folks that are subject to trafficking. Um, at a minimum, com companies like Thomson Reuters that supports Lawyers Without Borders comes out with lists that show corporate responsibility. And those lists are listened to. Providing information through our student and lawyer network not only to our law firms, but to their clients and partners could be force multipliers to get the word out on the challenges and some of the research. And I think one of the biggest opportunities is to start looking at the indicators to educate people as to what is uh, not only what is human trafficking, but what are the indicators of the crime and how do we identify that it's taking place and empower the police to be able to take action or employers to take action. Whistleblower laws become really important. Most of these companies have those, but is it a culture where people can blow the whistle on a challenge within a particular supply chain? And so I think students have a unique ability to have a voice and require and absolutely hold accountable the community to implement those things. I mean, wildlife is another area that we could talk, you know, a, a whole podcast about certainly the preservation and the prioritization of the world's resources and animals and the ability for not only your children, but your grandchildren to be able to go and enjoy these resources is an important issue. I would also put out to you as students that we don't know the direction we're going. I've been thinking a lot, honestly, about the future of space. Rule of law in the next domain. I mean, think about it. Freedom of speech in that domain, land ownership. Is it right that people pay and have the privatization of going into space or should it be a public domain? How do we govern? And I bet in your lifetime, you will see that. You're already starting to see it now. And so as you start to think of students in your chapters, I mean, these are the issues that will be relevant to you when you're sitting in my seat. And maybe you will be the first ambassador to Mars and have the responsibility of figuring out the rights and responsibilities of rule of law in another galaxy beyond our own. So uh, the sky's the limit. Yeah, that's incredible. And I guess that goes back to us having a plan in our heads, but you never know what's going to come in. Um, and yeah, you touched on wildlife trafficking there. And we, um, as a student chapter, chose to um, focus our project for OLIC on wildlife trafficking. And um, I had quite an involvement in it and really loved researching an area of law that I hadn't come across before and really just, um, yeah, expanding my mind to things beyond our course and what's covered on our course is mandatory. Um, but what was your experience of that area of law and um, where did your passion come from it? And yeah, what was your experience in dealing with that? So I'll give you a couple of, a couple of examples. So obviously, um, sort of the amazing opportunity to be able to work for the United States government in Nairobi, Kenya, put me front and center in a part of the world that really values its wildlife. 
it also is a country that is expanding economically and developing and building just like every, you know, many of the countries um, where we live. And so the tension between allowing, and we have the exact same thing in the United States, pre preserving our environment, preserving our species, but allowing development and advancement is a very challenging one. I will say, um, I actually just before this podcast was speaking with the director of public prosecution in Kenya, again, the power of technology. And I was thinking back when I arrived in Kenya, there were certainly many ways criminal cases were being brought, but there were essentially two prosecutors focused on wildlife crimes in Kenya, a country of 47 million people. And each of those prosecutors had more than 3000 criminal cases. And since that, yes, it is true. Um, and since that time, the country has really put far more uh, resources across the board, you know, whether it be for tourism, for land uh, preservation, to understanding the problem, to policing, to trafficking, to wildlife offenses, to now where they have very mature institutions that are working on protecting. Prosecution is just one tool that we have, and it is a very limited tool. You're not going to solve a lot of these problems by putting people in jail. And my recent job previously coming to Lawyers Without Borders is I was embedded in the US military in Stuttgart, Germany. And what I used to tell a lot of my military colleagues is that peace and security is not going to come down the barrel of a gun alone. You have, um, certain tools that you can use. And it's certainly not gonna come through a prosecution either. It takes a village. It takes all of the components of civil society, of universities, of the resources that we have to pull together to go after problems like wildlife crime. And so I think your ability to raise awareness like you did with Rolick, even just internally within your group and sparking a passion is critical. I would encourage you if you have not been to parts of Kenya or Africa to go as soon as the pandemic allows you. There's always a reason not to, and it's not that far, but it's not that close. So I encourage you to go and see it and see it for yourself and see the value. Um, and I know that countries like Kenya have woven the importance of wildlife and its preservation into its economic packages and its economic perspectives. And that's where I really think you have to think about as well. So you talk about what do you study prior to law school or what do your experiences bring to you? Certainly the value economically to countries is going to be an important driver on many of the um, priorities. If it isn't promoting their country and their well-being, it is not going to likely be a strong priority in that country. So I've given you one small snapshot of a part of the world, certainly uh, supply chain. Asia is a huge part of the way we look at wildlife offenses. But honestly, many of these problems, whether it be anti-money laundering, money laundering itself, or corruption are as significant an issue in the US and where we live in the UK, in Malta, in Africa, in Asia, in many parts of the world. So we have a lot of complex problems to focus on. 
So what more can student divisions be doing to raise awareness of such issues? So, I mean, I think one of the things we can talk about is developing cross relationships with other student chapters. We have relationships with universities in Kenya. We do not have student chapters that have actually uh, matured to where they are part of our organization. There is a real demand and a desire. So I think setting up some of those relationships could be really valuable. One of the students from our Bristol chapter is actually living in Amman, Jordan due to the COVID pandemic. And she has been instrumental in helping us work with one of our partners, Lawyers Without Borders, Jordan. And so developing those connections, obviously we're not focused as much on wildlife in the Middle East. There are you know, different focuses on refugee issues as well as labor and labor rights and similar, but uh, developing those linkages and also trying to help us define and create better ways to deal with our headquarters. We want you to be autonomous to the extent that you hold events and work across your universities and students, but we want to have you integrated into what we do in our headquarters so that we can benefit and have even a closer relationship with the students. Amazing. Um, I guess that brings us to a nice um, circular conclusion of maybe telling listeners how they could um, start their own student division or how to get involved with Lawyers Without Borders at Newcastle. If Robin, you'd like to tell us how um, students could create their own chapter. Absolutely. Um, so we have a Mechanism within Lawyers Without Borders, the student division lead is Ellie Zaft. It does uh, require that you contact our organization. There are requirements, which maybe you can even highlight before we wrap up. And I am happy to give contact information, but reach out to Lawyers Without Borders directly, jump on our website, take a look, see if it speaks to you. Look at some of the other chapters that have websites such as UCLA or um, some of the chapters in the United Kingdom. Give us a call, shoot us an email and we are happy to set up a discussion with you forthwith. Brilliant, thank you, Robin. I think that brings us to a perfect ending. Um, just on how you can get involved with uh, Lawyers Without Borders at Newcastle, you can contact us at lwob at newcastle.ac.uk. And from there, we'll be able to pass on any information if you want to set up your own student chapter. Um, I think that brings us to the end of our podcast. Um, so if there are any Newcastle law students who would like to host their own episodes or academics or legal professionals who would like to get involved with the podcast, please email nplr at newcastle.ac.uk. Um, well, with that, I'd like to thank Robin for giving up her time. Um, I'm sure she's very busy um, for this podcast. It's 8 a.m. where she is right now. And uh, thank you, Malika, uh, for co-hosting. Yeah, thank you, Robin. It's been a pleasure to have a conversation with you this afternoon for us. <laughs> Very interesting. Right, and I'll just pause. I would just want to follow up. Our website does have contact information, both for the student chapters and the organization generally. So check out our website, 
Lawyers Without Borders, and there will be information for you to reach out to us. Brilliant. Thank you, Robin. <laughs>